do I normally start this? Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, welcome back to our channel. For those of you that are new, welcome. For those of you that are returning, we do not deserve you. Thank no, we you so don't. much. Good boy. We have um, Natalie's dog in the room with us. So yes. if you hear gnawing, um, it's him on a bone. Yes. It's not. Um, Don't be alarmed. Yeah. It's not someone in the background um, gnawing yeah. on something. Hopefully. It kind of is, but it's a dog. Yeah. Hopefully he's a good boy so we can film three of these today. He's but a we'll very see. good boy. Mm, debatable. He's learning though. He's doing well. He is. But anyway. Natalie's being too hard on him. <laughs> Anywho. So um, this week we're actually going to talk about a true crime case that really shaped Erica and I's childhood and really, honestly, any 90s babies out there. Yeah. Um, and again, unlike most cases that we cover, this one actually has a happy ending. Now, I'm so excited. I know. I know. Who thought that I would every come time, with Every time we do a case, you're just so gruesome. And I'm like, can we just have a happy ending? Yes. Yeah, so this one is a happy ending, albeit there is a lot of horror in between. Yeah. But eventually, there is a happy ending. But before we get into it, my name's Natalie. I'm Erica, and this is Drunken True Crime. Do- For those of you that are returning, thank you so much. For those of you that are new, welcome. We do have a few disclaimers. We're going to go through them fast, so listen up. One, we talk about true crime. Two, we drink. Three, we cuss. Four, you might see us laughing. That's typically because we're making fun of each other or making fun of the asshat criminals in these stories, but never the victims. So with that being said, if any of those things offend you, you will not like this, and that is okay. That is okay? totally okay. Yeah, There's but, plenty of other true crime podcasts and YouTube channels out there. Yes, but for those of you that find that fun, grab your cocktail as we jump into to this case so we're actually filming in the morning yeah um we were supposed to film like two days in a row but like things just kept popping up so yeah we're filming on a saturday at like 10 a.m which is um testing it yeah um it's a little early for erica (laughs) drunk and true crime in the morning so with that being said we're doing mimosas just just straight up traditional mimosa yes and i know we've done this cocktail before but like I mean, we both don't like Bloody Marys. Yeah, So, like, what other cocktail can we do? Yeah, and it's really, it's too early to be pulling out the whiskeys and stuff of the world. No, 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 no. Okay. So, cheers. So, this week, we're actually going to take you through the kidnapping of J.C. Lee Dugard. So, obviously, a very famous case. um, But we're really excited to take you through all the details, the turns, the missed opportunities, and ultimately, her rescuing. So again, this is a happy ending. On June 10th, 1991, 11-year-old JC was getting ready for an upcoming field trip and was focusing on how she was going to ask her mom if she could shave her legs for her upcoming field trip because she didn't want to be embarrassed, which I think is like the most wholesome. That is because like I can remember when we went to, um, I forget her, one of our teammates' names. Gotta give me more. (laughs) She was, she was blonde anyways, like. We decided to have a sleepover, and overnight, like, everybody was talking about shaving their legs, and I hadn't shaved them, so, like, we decided to, and then the next day, we were, like, telling her mom, don't my legs look great? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't remember, like, I remember my mom, like, teaching me, and just- Mom was not happy I shaved my legs. Yeah, I bet she wasn't. Hey, drop it. Yeah. I bet she wasn't. Um, anyways, just like a typical like 11-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. That, that's what she's so focused Becoming on. Becoming right? into womanhood. Yeah, exactly. So this is what she was thinking about when she left her house that morning on her way to catch her bus for school. As she was walking, a gray car pulls up and a man rolls down his window. Now, JC's first thought was that the man was asking for directions because she's a sweet 11-year-old who hasn't experienced the evil that exists in this world. Right. Um, but unfortunately, that would quickly change. 
because as a man rolled down the window and JC walked over, he took out a stun gun and tased JC. Now, JC, as she speaks about this experience, she recalls that um, the feeling of just going numb and her body just kind of tingling all over. So not only did she go tingly, she did lose control of her bo- like bowels and she remembers peeing herself, but not Aww. being embarrassed about it because... Well, she's you know, like, this, this yeah. asshole did this to me. Yeah. Like, but I'm going to pee all over myself. Right. Like, those are the things that she remembers. So the man who kidnapped JC is named Philip Garrido, a convicted sex offender. So we are going to take a second to talk about this um, juice canoe, which I really don't want to. But <laughs> there is no reason, in my opinion, this man should have been free among us um, to have been to kidnap JC. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous that he was not in prison at the time of this kidnapping. <sighs> do we have to talk about this ass here? Uh, we do. We oh, do. Fucking I know. A. Okay. So we are going to talk about it, apparently. Natalie's making me. <laughs> um, Philip was born in Pittsburgh, California um, on April 5th, 1951. In high school, he got into a serious motorcycle accident. And then in his young 20s, he struggled with addiction, primarily crystal meth and LSD. Those are some hard yeah. drugs. Yep. And was arrested after graduating from high school in 1969 of possession. Yeah. Of, like, both of those drugs? Um, I, I don't know. A possession of drugs of okay. some sort. But And now, if you hear his dad speak out after he – spoiler alert, he gets arrested. Um, after he gets arrested, his dad said that, like, he was a good kid until that motorcycle accident and until the um, – Hey, TBIs are yeah, no Yeah, I know. So not an excuse, and it's not being confirmed that he, you know – we're not giving that an excuse, but it was just interesting that his dad, because his dad agrees that he's an asshole, mm-hmm. like a horrible person now. Um, but it was just interesting to hear that, that after that motorcycle accident and then what he did with drugs that can't help your brain. Well, no so shit, no. <laughs> but anywho, sorry. So everything kind of goes down here from there with this asshat. In 1972, Garada was arrested again, but this time for drugging and um SAing and SAing. Y'all know what we mean. Yeah. We just can't say it. We on just YouTube. can't say it. Um, jugging and SAing a 14 year old girl. That's right. A 14 year old child. Yeah. Ridiculous. That's I, yeah. disgusting. You're I know. a disgusting human being. Oh, it gets so much worse. So you would think immediately, okay, great. This man is in jail for life. Um, you would be wrong, though. The charges were actually dropped because the victim. Let's remember she's 14 years old, refused to testify. Of course she's going to refuse to testify. Yeah, she's, she's absolutely terrified. Exactly, exactly. And she would have to face her assaulter Yeah. in the face and she'd be worried. I mean, I'm sure he probably threatened her with everything. Yeah, I mean, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And so what makes me so angry about this, though, is the prosecution. So you're telling me that even though the scared victim refused to testify, you didn't still file charges and take him to court? You didn't have any other evidence? Yeah. Like, please explain this to me, why the prosecution did not I mean, she not was drugged. I'm sure she did, like, they did, like, a toxicology or something yeah. to have some evidence that she was drugged. Yes, that's my point. It's and like, do a um, essay kit. Yeah. Even, even if, let's say, he was saying that it was consensual, doesn't matter. Still, it's doesn't matter. Still, it's illegal. Still 14 years old. pretty much every state. Even, I think, like, Alabama, Mississippi, it has to be, like, 15. Ugh. My point being, regardless, it's illegal. So why the fuck he wasn't convicted, I have absolutely no fucking idea. It's mm, annoying. That's just the system failing that child once again. Yep. So it gets worse. Wonderful. So then, just four years later, in 1976, Gerardo was back. Gerardo? 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 
Sorry. We need to get on the same page. Garrido. It's Garrido. (laughs) I don't know. Garrido was back at it again, terrorizing women. And he actually kidnapped a 24-year-old, or excuse me, 25-year-old woman and essayed her for five and a half hours. Again, he shouldn't have been out to to do this. After hearing that. Yeah. So... Luckily, though, this time he was arrested and he was sentenced to 50 years for the kidnapping and an additional five years um, to life for the SA. Now, this. Mm. So, like, on, oh, sentenced to 50 years. 50, yes. Okay. And then five like, years to life. No, five years to life. For, ultimately, he was in jail for life at this point. Okay. So, he was sent to uh, Leavenworth Penitentiary. Penitentiary. In Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> to serve out his sentence. Now, while there, he would meet a woman named Nancy Bacanegra. Um, and she was actually there visiting her uncle in prison, and they just met. Now, the two hit it off. How you could hit it off with a man like this, I will never fucking know. But here we are. She's a shithead. I mean, Ted Bundy got married in prison, so yeah. what are you going to do? Ugh. What are they called? Like jail bunnies? What? No. Jail groupies. Something like that. But anyway, so... the. These two asshats, they hit it off, and they would actually go on to get married at the prison on October 5th, 1981. This time, we're like, awesome. Homeboy's going to jail for life. Go rot in fucking prison. Right. Nope. So, he would go on to serve only 11 years of his sentence and was released on parole in 1988. How? No fucking idea. So, we'll get into that part at the end of the story. But um, just three years before the story, the case. Um. Remember, so he was paroled in 1988, just three years before J.C. was kidnapped. Now, how the hell he was paroled, I will never know, just to your point. Who who on that parole board was like, yeah, he seems like a great man. He raped a fucking 14-year-old. Oh, sorry. Essayed a 14-year-old and then <laughs> essayed a 25-year-old like for five and a half hours. Obviously, there's a pattern here. Yes. Like he's obviously going to do this again if released. Yeah. Oh, and it gets worse. Wonderful. <laughs> so this is a man that went on trial in 1977, testified in court that he pleasured himself in his car by the side of an elementary and high schools while watching children. You're disgusting. He's awful. That's he said this in court. He so the parole openly por- admitted like, it. Yes, in court, and they paroled him. The court also um, ordered a psychiatric evaluation where he was diagnosed as sexual deviant and chronic drug abuser which i could have done that and you know i haven't been practicing in years but i could have yeah, told you I've, that yeah that's so generic of a diagnosis i can't even yeah so again how this man was allowed to walk amongst us again is disgusting and a huge like miscarriage of justice yeah absolutely okay so back to the day of the kidnapping philip tases um jc and then nancy his wife held J.C. down in the car, and the couple took the three-hour drive from Myers, California, to Antioch, where the Garritos live. It was believed that Nancy was the one who scouted J.C. and picked her out, quote-unquote, for her husband. Yeah. Sick You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the Barbie Barbie and Ken murders, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Only, Ish. I mean, it's not a murder, but, they, but like yeah, they did, say, they yeah. did like pick out people for, for each, each other. other. Yeah. And I kind of reminds me of Elizabeth um, Smart. Well, yeah, they are kind of, they are very similar, actually. Now, there were several witnesses to JC's abduction, including her stepfather, whoa, stepfather, Carl, Carl, I no, Carl. Proben? Proben. Oh, yeah. Carl Proben. He immediately jumped on his bike to try to catch this car, but unfortunately he was unable to catch up or gather any useful 
information such as like a license plate. He couldn't even get a partial license plate, unfortunately. So once Philip, Nancy, and JC get to the Garrido's house, 120 miles away, they remove JC's pink outfit that she picked out that day. Mm. Now, during this, JC was able to take off a butterfly-shaped ring that she had, and she was able to hide it from them. Now, this is, would be a ring that she would cherish and would go on to hide for them, from them for 18 years. Wow. Philip then placed a blanket over JC's head and forced her into his backyard where he placed her in a small shed that he had soundproofed. Like, and we'll show pictures if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening. Mm, sorry. Um, but this backyard has like, it's kind of, it's a, it's a mess. And it's got like random sheds like all throughout it. Um, and so he did put her in one that was soundproof. He essayed her, placed her hands behind her back and handcuffed her and then left her there naked. That's premeditated if you soundproof. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, the wife had like scouted, like had oh my been. God. Yeah. So he then locked her in the shed, telling her that if she tried to escape, that there were Dobermans outside that would attack her. I'd be like, bring it on. Dobermans <laughs> are so cute. Oh my God. Dobermans can rip a. Oh, I know they though. can if they're trained that way. But, right. I but mean, this it's dish like, canoe would. True. Yeah. Now, during this time, JC's family, friends, and classmates, and the entire community are searching day and night for JC. However, they didn't have much to go on. And remember, JC was 120 miles away. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, their efforts were unsuccessful. So a week goes by and JC remains handcuffed. The only human interaction she has is with Philip, from which JC was forced to rely on for everything, including eating, going to the bathroom, and human interaction. Okay, after approximately a month and a half after JC was kidnapped, Philip moved her into a slightly bigger shed in the back of the house. There was a bed in there and Philip would handcuff her to it. The cycle of abuse, neglect, and confinement would continue for months and years. During this time, Philip would go on meth benders and then he called it runs. Yeah, so he like these meth like just ragers that he would go on, he called them runs. Where he would go into this crazed religious rants that would often end with him crying and apologizing to JC. Now, eventually, seven months after the kidnapping, Philip formally introduced Nancy, remember his fucktard of a wife, to JC. And JC recalls that Nancy brought her a stuffed animal and chocolate milk, which JC now realized that this was just a form of manipulation on this woman's Mm -hmm. part. So, like, Nancy would be nice to her sometimes and then become extremely jealous of her other times because that makes total sense. Be jealous of this fucking, what, 11-year-old that you're... That you picked out for your husband. Yeah, because she wants to do these things with your husband. Right. Fucking asshole. Um, Now, the couple would... Wow. The couple would continue to abuse, manipulate, and keep JC in captivity. At one point, they did get her a few kittens, which made JC, like, so, so happy and made her feel less lonely. Right. Um, However, once JC would get attached, the kittens would mysteriously disappear. Of course. I know. Um, additionally, they didn't allow her to use her name at all. So once she wrote her name in a journal and they actually made her tear it out, um, and like tear it out of the journal and then tear it up. After that, JC never said her name, um, while in captivity again, she would, um, end up going by Alyssa because she liked the actress, um, Alyssa Milano. Of course she did. Yeah. I know. How could you not ask? Almost three years into her captivity, J.C. was given more freedom, a.k.a. they didn't make her wear the handcuffs or handcuff her to the bed anymore. However, she's still locked up in the shed outside. Yeah. Then on April 3rd, 1994, which happened to be an Easter Sunday, the couple told J.C. they believed she was pregnant. That's right. At the age of just 13, 
JC got pregnant by her kidnapper, Philip Garrido. 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 Tomato, tomato. (laughs) The poor child didn't even understand the connection between sex and pregnancy and really didn't understand how childbirth worked. The couple did allow JC to watch shows about childbirth, which traumatizing yeah for real then on august 18th 1994 jc went into labor when she was all alone i know like think about let how that sit in yeah like sink in how terrifying would that be going into labor one is terrifying for your first time when you when already know when you already yeah. know what's gonna happen yeah. let alone when you don't have any idea what's actually yeah. gonna happen when you're 13 years old you don't know what's happening like you don't even fully understand how you got pregnant like I don't know. It's awful. Uh, Bless her heart. I know. Now, a few years later, JC would become pregnant again and would give birth to her second daughter Mm -hmm. on November 13th, 1997. After the birth of her daughters, JC was given more freedom. The Gritos built a huge privacy fence um, so you couldn't see into the yard, like into their yard at all anymore. They allowed JC and the daughters to go outside in the backyard. And honestly, the three of them made the most of it. They created a garden and JC even schooled the girls, like regardless of the fact that she only had a fifth grade education herself. Wow. Now, JC's first and foremost priority, though, was to keep her daughters safe from Philip, who again is technically their dad. Disgusting. I know. Now we want to back up a little bit here. Remember during this whole time, Philip was on parole, which meant that he got regular house visits, wore a tracking like anklet, and had random drug screens. In fact, during the 18 years that JC was held in captivity, there were 60 parole officer visits in the Garrido household. At one point, Philip even gets arrested and thrown in jail for a month due to failing a drug test. Yet, at any point, do they check the backyard or follow up on the obvious clues that showed there was something wrong here? No. No. For instance, Garrido's ankle monitor showed that he spent a considerable amount of time in the backyard, but yet they never did search in the backyard. I know, which I just don't understand. What the fuck do you think he was doing? For real, like how would would you not do that? How much gardening can you do? Additionally, a neighbor in the Garrido... Neighbor of the Garritos made a report back in 1991, the year that JC was kidnapped, stating that she spotted a young blonde girl in their backyard and said her name was JC. Additionally, in um, 2008, a parole officer saw JC, a young girl in their house, which was a direct violation of his parole, but they didn't do anything. Yeah. So like a parole officer actually sees JC. Like, and they didn't do anything. And so when asked, Jay, like, people asked JC, like, why didn't you tell him, like, who you were? Remind, remind Your you. Your main it. job is to keep him from doing crimes again. Yeah, I know. And, like, I hate that people were like, why didn't she say anything? Well, one, she had been in captivity for how long? There right. are multiple it's opportunities. It's not on her. It's, yeah. never, it's never on her. Well, there were multiple opportunities for parole officers to, to do something. Right. Like, to do something and they never did and she was like I didn't trust them to do anything and I would get in so much trouble if I said something right their main job as a parole officer is to make sure that the parolee doesn't do another crime and they keep people safe yeah from them they failed and miserably. you failed miserably yeah so the amount of opportunities our justice system had to say um had to save JC is incredible yet ultimately it would be two employees at the UC Berkeley campus that would give JC the freedom she longed for in 18 years 
So on August 24, 2009, Philip took Nancy, JC, and JC's two daughters to the UC Berkeley campus, where he went up to a police officer to ask permission to hold a special event to spread the word of God. Remember, he would go on these crazy, like, religious rants all the time, and this would just compound over the years. I know. So he spoke with UC Berkeley special events manager Lisa Campbell, who immediately had warning bells. Um, going off in her head when she met met Philip and the women and the girls that were with him. Let's give a round of applause to Lisa Campbell. Good job. Good job, girl. So Lisa, thinking on her feet, told Philip to make an appointment for the next day in which Philip would have... <laughs> Excuse you. Rude. Miller. So... Lisa, thinking on her feet, told Philip to make an appointment for the next day in which Philip would have to give her his name to make that appointment, which he does. Lisa then takes his name and goes to Officer Allie Jacobs, who then runs a background check and immediately discovers that Philip is a registered sex offender on federal parole for kidnapping and essaying. So the next day, during the appointment with Lisa, Officer Jacobs actually sits in and agrees that something is off about how the girls are reacting or really lack thereof. Right. Um, the fact that they look like they hadn't had exposure to the sun in a very long time and overall their demeanor was just off, in her opinion. So Officer Jacobs calls the federal parole office and left a voicemail expressing her concerns when it came to Philip. After listening to the voicemail, two parole officers immediately drive to the Garrido's house. So they immediately handcuff Philip and start searching the house. However, during the search, they only find Nancy and Philip's mom. Now, Philip said that the girls who were with him at Berkeley were the daughters of a relative and that he had permission from their parents to take them to the university. Now, this trip to Berkeley violated Philip's parole in multiple ways. One, he was banned from being around minors. Yeah. (laughs) Two, Berkeley was 40 miles away, and technically, Philip could only travel 25 miles away from his house without getting permission from his parole officer, which he didn't do. I mean, giving you 25 miles is too much, but whatever. Agreed. But despite all this, they let him go and ask him to come back into the office the next day to further investigate his trip to Berkeley. Now, Philip does, in fact, come back the next day, and he comes back with Nancy, JC, who, again, was going by Alyssa at the time, and her two daughters. At this point, the parole officers interviewed everyone separately, Um, and so basically they take Nancy, JC, and the two daughters away from Philip. Now, JC stuck to her, or stuck to the story that she was, in fact, Alyssa, and that although she knew Philip was a sex offender, that he was a changed man and great with her kids, which her two daughters confirmed. Now, J.C. also told them that he was helping her hide from her abusive husband. When the parole officers pressed... Whoa, I just spit. (laughs) (laughs) We were just enunciating. I just got excited. (laughs) Um, When the parole officers pressed her more to prove her identity, she became very angry and defensive. Now, at this point, the parole officers decided to bring in the Concord police, thankfully. Right. um, Because, yeah, honestly, with their track record, I feel like they would have let Philip go. So when the Concord police got there, Philip confessed to kidnapping and um, essaying J.C. Finally, after some time, when asked what her real name was, J.C. said she wouldn't say it out loud, but she would write it on a piece of paper. When given a piece of paper, she finally wrote down her name, something she wasn't allowed to do for 18 years. J.C. Lee Dugard. Okay, so finally, the nightmare was over and J.C. was reunited with her family. Philip was sentenced to 431 years in prison. And Nancy received 36 to life. Um, Quite frankly, I don't think that's enough for Nancy. At least she got something. Yeah. Um, But 
Yeah. At least she's in jail. Yeah. Now, following um, this traumatic, almost two-decade-long ordeal, J.C. would go on to sue the state of California due to Philip being paroled for the kidnapping As in 1976. Should, yep, which he was originally sentenced to 55 years, but again, only served 11 years. So, yes, absolutely, J.C., he should not have been paroled. Right. And, yeah, J.C. would ultimately go on to win. Um, so, yeah, she would go on to win, and she was awarded $20 million for this, which, again, wow. I don't think that's enough. I don't either. But at least at least she was able to, at least it's somewhat them trying to fix the huge miscarriage of justice. Right. Nothing can fix it. Money's not going to change anything, but it, it can help in certain aspects. So she also has gone on to write two books and did a great interview with Diane Sawyer, which we highly encourage you guys to um, go and watch if you um feel so inclined but it's a really good one where she speaks it's obviously she's the one doing the interview she speaks about um the ordeal and just seeing her and how she like conducts herself and she's still so positive which I'm like what the how the hell um and just seeing how she speaks about her daughters and their birth is just like she's still like it was still a very special moment for her Mm -hmm. even though it was surrounded by such tragedy right again this is a really well-known case but it's one that um again, kind of shaped our childhood, and we've been talking about covering for a while. So, um, Erica, final thoughts. So the fact that this woman was able to stay in captivity for 18 years and not give up. I know. Insane. Insane. And not give up. And then, like, have two children and remain positive and look at it as, like, a silver lining that she can, like, school them and teach them gardening and like I know raise them and also not talk bad about their father no I know she's very uh, she's an inspiration she has the most grace that I've ever seen yeah it's uh, I highly like go go watch that go go wow go go watch that (laughs) uh go watch that interview you I promise you guys won't regret it but yeah until then be a a bitch bitch and stay alive. alive cheers